art, comedy, pop culture, and much more. You're listening to ACPN. Emerald City Video, this is Russ. Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? <sighs> Hello and welcome to the Emerald City Video Podcast. This is Russ, and that over there is Zach. Hello! Truly effective when nobody can see you. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, Truly using the the, uh, the art form of the podcast, uh, the audio medium, uh, when you go, hey, look at that! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, t- today we're gonna do uh, go old school a little bit. We're gonna do like a five for five, uh, and our theme, as as chosen by Zach, is uh, our five favorite movies of two thousand one. Ah, and and uh, because that uh, because I guess I need to do this. Um, uh, that has a uh, a tie in because um, a certain book is out right now, and two thousand one was the year that what movie came out? I feel like I don't know. Josie and the Pussycats. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, go all the way back to the very first episode of the podcast, and then Zach and I did another Josie episode later. But uh, we, Josie and the Pussycats uh, is the subject of my book, Best Movie Ever, which is uh, an oral history of the production, reception, and uh, legacy of the movie. It is out at Amazon now, and I'm working diligently to get it up on other platforms. And uh, uh, you can also buy it at josiebook.com. That's true. And if you buy it at josiebook.com, it comes from me, which means that I'll like send you a signed copy and I'll send you a free PDF yes. a couple of hours after you buy. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> and yeah, Josie is obviously on my list uh, of my favorite movies of 2001 because I wrote a book about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but why <laughs> don't we? Like, I hated this after everything. I fucking hated this film. Jesus yeah. Christ, I never want to watch it again. <laughs> uh, well, why don't we start with you? Uh, because uh, my, my, I'm going to leave Josie to the end because it'll just depend on how much time we've got, how much depth I want to go into. But yeah. Josie is specifically not on my list because I took a wild guess and said, yeah. I think Russ will cover this and Russ will certainly be able to cover it better than I again. Um, my number one, and I think that these are moderately in order. I may have to switch them around, like just when it came out, because we we, uh, we all went by uh, I went by a, a Wikipedia page that just has the listings. So, I mean, again, this is one of those problems where like whenever you do like best of this year is you have like what wait, did it technically come out this year or was there yeah. some you know, whatever. And also there's always like 30 independent films that just aren't on a Wikipedia because they don't have a Wikipedia page or something yeah. like that. So obviously, if, you know, uh, we, we don't list something that you like obviously tell us um and uh um 2001 i i think i probably watched like pretty much everything yeah, <laughs> so, like i've like, seen one of my years where it was just like went to theaters every at least once a week and then also rented everything under the sun um yeah. so but my my first one is uh the mexican um a film that i'm i'm kind of always surprised that didn't last like it didn't like it it, it kind of didn't it it, it was really popular in the year it came out, it did moderate money, um, like for, you know, what it was. It was not a small film because it was, you know, Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. Um, but it also um, had a goddamn fantastic cast even beyond that. James Galdonfini playing a – I think he was gay. I actually haven't watched it in, in a while. Um, 
but um, he was like kind of a, uh, a J.K. Simmons, um, Sherman Augustus, Gene Hackman, yeah. um, and a bunch of other people that you're like, hey, I recognize that guy. Um, but it, it's a IMDb description. A man tries to transport an ancient gun called the Mexican, believed to carry a curse back across the border while his girlfriend pressures him to give up his criminal ways. It's kind of a, like, not a last heist thing, but he has to do one last job to yeah. get out from under the criminal boss that he is. Brad Pitt playing um, his, I'm trying to think of, like, what's a better comparison beyond this, but, like, not playing a confident role, which I personally always like those when he's not, like, no, he's not a guy that knows what he does. I mean, like, yeah. you know, like, out of World War Z or something like that, like, where he's just, you know, really unsure um, of himself, and I think that he, I think that's honestly his best roles. And, and like, this, honestly, I think probably one of my favorite Julia Roberts roles outside of, like, uh, Brockovich, um, um, because... She also, her and James Gandolfini, like, what a weird mixture. Like, I would be like, yeah. if you ever said, ah, Julia Roberts and James Gandolfini, I'm like, I actually would watch a whole movie of that now. Like, just, yeah. like, those two, back, especially in that era in 2001, like, that, that'd just be goddamn great. Did, wait, did, I'm trying to remember if, uh, did, had that come out yet? When did, when did uh, Sopranos happen? Uh, early 2000s, right? yeah. Yeah, I remember renting it from uh, Hollywood Video when I was working there because I had 1999. It started. 1999 is the first episode. Yeah, so I mean, he was huge. He was a big, but he wasn't. I don't remember him being. Uh, maybe I could be completely wrong. Yeah, no, because I think that uh, was it. First Castle with Robert Redford. He was already yeah, in that. Last and Castle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, last I, castle. Think, I yeah. think it was one of those things, honestly, where uh, very much like what happened with Brian Cranston during Breaking Bad. Yeah. It's like yeah. the show got great reviews right away. The show blew up right away. But that didn't necessarily mean that he himself was an A-lister until about halfway through when he started winning every Emmy. Yeah. I mean, also the fact that if you're doing an HBO show that has like that was back, I think back in the day when they did like it, they still had 14, 20 episodes, not like yeah. most seasons on HBO now, which are like properly six episodes or something like that which i think is the correct which is a better length and i think we've probably ranted about that before about you know the difference between british and, and american shows but but yeah no that's um it's uh it's on voodoo um i think i i think it's been making its rounds again for some reason on on kind of uh you know extended cable tv but uh uh highly recommend it uh gore uh gore Verbinski, uh, Verbinski, sorry, um, directed that. Uh, fucking love it. Good film. Uh, was that right after he had just done the first Pirates movie? Or was this before that? I feel... that that You know, that's the funny thing is that I was going through, like, Paramount... I was going through, like, on a couple different apps, and I'm like, when did... Um, wait, that was... That was in 2008. That came out in two. What? And like having that, like that weird 2000s era that now it's ten. It's a beyond a decade beyond us. It's just yeah. like wait, that doesn't make any sense. Um, the only thing um, he had really done. That's actually wild. The only thing he had really done big before that, before the Mexican was Mouse Hunt. That's. Um, and then that. he did the Ring, and then he did uh, Pirates of Caribbean. Yeah. Um, and then he did um, The Crystal Method, Born Too Slow, a video short. And then he did The Weatherman. Uh, and that was the film that came out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually did not know he was a music video guy. That's weird. I didn't either. Uh, yeah. I, I, no. 
Um, oh my god, he did the Budweiser fo- frog short too. Oh. Remember the um, yeah, uh, yeah yeah Super Bowl short uh, of Ribbit or Budweiser? I think it was. I don't yeah, know. Yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah. It's interesting. Bad Religion and No uh, No FX seem to be his uh, main people that he did videos for. Yeah. Now I'm gonna um. I'm going to start essentially from from a random spot on the list because uh, I'm not trying to evaluate any of these. Uh, I'm just I, I'm not super into like here are my top five, but also this one's better than this one. And I'll you yeah. know, uh, I'm just not good at it. Um, so I'll start with Amelie, yeah. which is the one on my list that I felt like was probably the least likely to show up on yours. Uh and it was one of those movies I haven't seen it in ages um, because you have to really sit and pay attention to it because not only is it in a foreign language but it's also very like there's it, it, the dialogue is so sparse and it's yeah. so driven by visual storytelling uh, and so that like be, because of that it doesn't get played as much as a lot of my other favorite films from this or really any other year. Yeah. Uh, but every time I sit down and, and watch it, I'm always like, that was a delight. Um, you know, it's one of those one of those movies that I'm kind of shocked it made its way over to the United States just because uh, nobody involved was huge at the time. And it doesn't feel like a movie that would ever play in America. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's, you know, very kind of twee in a way that's that. that uh, it's drawn, I think, a lot more criticism in the years since it came out than a lot of the other movies on my list because it becomes the, like, oh, yes, the movie that was so precious. It was, like, pre-hipster hipsters. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's this this young woman in a small French neighborhood, and she starts doing things for her neighbors. And, and so you have this kind of whole apartment building where there's all this weird crap going on, and they don't really know who's doing this or why. And, like, a lot of it is just, like, really nice little things and then some of it is kind of random because she's using it to build to a larger thing at the end of it you know uh, yeah. but uh it, it audrey tattoo is in it and that was where she really became a thing US, uh u.s film market was paying attention to and i thought she was just she was terrific in it i think that uh you know she's she's done better acting in a strict sense later because she had more do and more dialogue in other things yeah yeah. But uh, but it's it's hard to like in terms of if you're going to have like a very charming, cutesy, manic pixie dream girl kind of character. Yeah. Uh, Amelie is, is basically the best, least problematic one. True, true. Yeah, no, I, I, I dug that film a lot, even though um, I think that was one, though, that um, I was. Uh, I was fully into my film school snobbery and that one was so it was like the mainstream indie film like first off by the way made for 10 million dollars made 170 million dollars but so like which i i I never known it knew it actually made that much money no but um never would have thought yeah beyond beyond that um um it's uh i grew to like it eventually and kind of get once i got on my very very much like oh well if the mate if the normies are liking it then i can't possibly like it um (laughs) even though quietly i was watching pootie tang this year and enjoying the hell out of it but you know (laughs) that is not on my list but um it is a film that came out this year 
yeah, there's, I, I've just got a, like a handful of movies that I want to like mention in like a speed round at the end where it's like my it's funny if I look at my list of my my top five for this year now. Yeah, uh, it is so very different from what it would have been in 2001. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, there was a bunch of movies I just adored back in 2001 that I've never watched again since. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's um I don't want to jump into the next one yet, but um that I mean I think that I think that Amelie um had one of the big benefits of you could watch it and not really read the subtitles. Yeah. There's like a handful of those foreign films that do really well that like Run Lolo Run was one of them where it's just like yeah. there wasn't you yeah. know, there's like bits of dialogue that you're like had to pay attention to and it was like fully it was like there'd be a conversation and then there'd be action for quite a while and as yeah. long as you got that conversation you could just watch and not have to actually read things which is always you know a problem for us yeah. americans um but uh which is something i actually wonder I'm like do people in europe complain about it as well like but um because i just feel like it's not a i feel like it's one of those like oh it's americans dumb dumb americans right like but like do we all? I mean, like personally, I I like foreign films, but I don't like reading while I'm watching a movie because it moves my eyes away from the screen where right. I want to be paying attention to things. And it's just like I don't think it's actually like that unvalid of a complaint. Huh. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, what's your next? Uh, what I, I didn't have a ton to say about Amelie because I remember adoring it uh but i haven't watched it in a long time and so i don't want to uh yeah. get too deep into the weeds on it and I, be like oh yeah it's I don't also, didn't she she um um she was in one of the uh was she in da vinci code i think so she was in one of the two for sure yeah yeah and it's just like wild to me because i was going again i was going through like the paramount app or something like that or peacock app i'm trying to remember which one it would, would be necessarily but like i was like Oh yeah, holy shit, Amelie because Amelie was in there. That's actually why yeah. I think. And and then like the next one was like Da Vinci Code, and I'm like, oh yeah, holy shit, she did make that jump, and she did. She's like very clearly one of the ones was like, oh, very good that she knew she can speak English very well. Um, yeah. you know, like many Europeans. Um, yeah, she had but, a handful of like indie movies that played reasonably well in the home video market in, in the years that followed that. Like she did Dirty Pretty Things from Stephen Frears, which was great in 2002. Um, and, uh, she did a very long engagement and she did, uh, I remember really enjoying at the time. He loves me. He loves me not. Although I remember literally nothing about it. Um, I don't remember anything about that either. I do remember the film in theory, but I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, my, um, my film is also staying within the indie world, um, is ghost world. Um, nice. and, um, uh, which I got to admit, um, I don't know when the last time I said I saw it. Um, but it is weirdly a film that I have not grown to dislike, even though I haven't seen it. Um, Ghost World's based off of, uh, the comic book by, uh, Daniel Klaus, um, and directed by, uh, Terry Zwigoff. Zwigoff? Zwigoff, I think. He's the guy who did that Crumb documentary that was just so fucking cringe-inducing. I, I feel like anything to do with Crumb is, would be that, but yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is the film that confused america by the fact that we all thought um that holy shit thora birch is definitely going to be the next big thing that yeah. will be definitely the huge person that comes out of this film and then wham it was scarlett johansson yeah. <laughs> it took a little while um but it was to me that was always surprising because still to this day 
I'm just like, I miss Thora Birch. And I know that theoretically she's in films um, and yeah. she was in Walking Dead. Um, but it's just like, what? what where, where did that happen? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I know why. Too, are we on, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Her, her basically her parents are crazy. Yeah. But uh, which is the risk you run when you're a child actor is that your parents will be crazy and suddenly you're you're not saleable <laughs> um especially it's weird because it's because it, uh, it's also both of them like i feel like i knew of um i'm trying to remember why i would have known because i'm looking at oh probably because of north because i'm a weirdo and actually really remember that film um why i know that she was like a child actress even before that yeah um, well she was also before this in american beauty right that was uh yeah Oh yeah, yeah, duh. Um, why is that not showing up on her? No, no, no. American Beauty was uh, wasn't American Beauty somebody else? It was Mina Suvari was the the cheerleader, but Thora Birch was his daughter. I don't know why that's not showing up on her IMDb page. Maybe I'm wrong then. Uh, let me. As we both maybe. Google, which is. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe I'm just completely yeah it does say she's in it oh shit it is there uh, oh wow i forgot speaking to your why would we have known that she was a child actor even before this prior to american beauty even she was in hocus pocus and then now and then yeah now and then was one of those movies i watched probably a lot more than most like males my age yeah because uh, it just for whatever reason worked for me Oh, you know what I was doing? I was actually looking at Scarlett Johansson's page, and I was like, wait a minute, Thor oh, Birch that, and that, Scarlett yeah. Johansson were in The Horse Whisperer? How did I miss that? <laughs> wow, I am bad at this. No, but, um, no, I mean, actually, well, the big the big reason actually would have been um, with Thor Birch was she was um, Sally Ryan, um, Jack Ryan's daughter in Patriot Games and Clear oh, Present Danger. Right. Yeah, um, we talked about that at the time. Yeah, and, uh, and Hocus Pocus, um, um, and a, and bunch of other things um as well that like tv shows and stuff like that but but yeah no that was that was why like i i always knew her because those are two of my favorite films um in the 90s and uh and then she like appeared in american beauty and i was like what the fuck yeah (laughs) that's weird jack ryan's daughter oh my god what are you doing with the garbage (laughs) bag boy um (laughs) but yeah um yeah it's all weird oh yeah she was also in Dungeons and Dragons, that film, yeah. that was to do something and didn't ever did anything. Uh, but yeah, Ghost World was a comic book film, um, <laughs> which is actually kind of weird because um, it was a time period that didn't really have comic book films. Yeah, um, and you have a couple two years. Of this year that aren't superhero things. Yeah, and uh, and it did surprisingly well, and you know, I mean, and also like the fact that it, it had a zero budget. Yeah, like, exactly. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But Although, it's, it's yeah. to MGM's credit, this is one of the last movies I remember MGM actually shelling out money to promote. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was this was, you know, I mean, 2001 was probably one of the last couple vestige years of the kind of nine, late 90s film, independent film uh, time period where a film like this could get any sort of real attention and could also get. I mean, to be fair, Thor Birch and Scarlett Johansson were pretty big at the time i mean especially god especially thor birch after yeah. doing uh after doing american beauty which was like you know 
1999 of all years was the biggest, probably the biggest film that people talked about for years and then and then just immediately stopped talking about <laughs> and yeah. then used mock independent film or like or not indie, edgy film. I, I, I'm sure that at the time that was probably considered some sort of independent film, but not at all. Not really. But um, but yeah, no, uh, it was also By that a, time, I think that I think that Sam Mendes had already had six seasons of Six Feet Under. So it's not like he wasn't getting cut a check. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Also, Kevin Spacey was a huge star and even then. Um, But, yeah, no, uh, Ghost World was a great little indie darling, um, as they would say. And um, I would I'm going to have to probably try to rewatch it because I feel like just even looking at the stills again, that it is the height of kind of (sighs) try. I don't I don't I don't think hipster is the right word. But there's like a, um, I don't know, maybe hipster is the right word, like cringe that is just jam packed into this film where people are desperately, which is part of the bit. It's like people trying to be whatever. And then they finally meet somebody who actually knows is the kind of geek level geekdom. And it's Steve Buscemi, which is like always perfect to me because it's like, yeah, no, I mean, I hate to say that's changed a lot. Like the level of geek, you know, like, yeah, um, (laughs) <laughs> like certain people like especially i'm trying to not name names of people that <laughs> but like there's certain people that are like you would be a jock in a different time period but now you work at comicbook.com and no, <laughs> <laughs> love you bd um but, <laughs> but it's uh but it is it's funny how it's like so evolved and so changed and right. um in the past and you know in the years but but anyway that's uh me ranting uh so my next one, I'm going to continue in the world of uh, movies that cost no money to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, this so film Ocean's called, huh? <laughs> no, so Ocean's Eleven. No, I'm getting yeah. anyway. Uh, uh, this film called Dinner Rush. Do you remember this? Yes. Danny Aiello and uh, I think it was John Corbett, the guy from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it the conceit of it is uh, the the main character uh, in kind of name only, uh, and I can't remember who it is that plays it. It might be uh, the Kirk Acevedo character. Um, but there's the, 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 the chef at this fancy restaurant who is the son of a mob boss. He doesn't want to be a mobster. He wants to run his five-star restaurant. Uh, and it's kind of like, it's this weird kind of clerk style thing where it's like a day in the life, but it's the day that fucks everything up uh, where his dad is having like, Sorry, a, now I want to see clerks with Danny Aiello. <laughs> like, I want to see a Scorsese clerks. That's what I want to uh, see. But anyway, uh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, but yeah, they, it, it's like uh, his, his father calls together like a conference of the various mafia heads in the area uh, so there's a bunch of gangsters all in one place, and there's a lot of bad shit about to go down. And uh, the I don't remember a lot of the mechanics of of kind of the night in the, in the restaurant. The big thing I remember is that you had the over talkative drunk guy at the bar who's talking with the bartender the whole time and hitting on girls and all that kind of stuff. And that was John Corbett's character. Yeah. Uh, and he gets a nice kind of twist at the end uh which i won't spoil since nobody at all watched this movie so if you can get to it for cheap watch it and just know that john corbett's character is more interesting than he seems uh 
and and just, this is one of those movies you look at the, the at the cast on it and it's like uh ILO Mark Mark Magolis uh Summer uh, Summer Phoenix Sandra Bernhardt uh Ajay I love Hugh, Hawk, but huh <laughs> I just uh, I, I just always like whenever whenever I get a chance to uh, do what we what we uh, do at Comic Book, which is like just find the esoteric film that we want to add and be like Sandra Bernhardt's Hudson Hawk, Sandra Bernhardt, yeah. or whatever, like uh, Dinner well, Rushes, Danny. I- also, wait, also exactly. Hudson Hawk, Danny Aiello. What? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Uh, Where's Bruce Willis? But yeah, that was a. It was just a great little movie, and it's one of those things that I think not enough people saw. It was one of those ones I remember really hand selling to people at the video store because it was like there's probably about a five percent chance that you saw a trailer for this, yeah. but it's definitely worth your three bucks or whatever it is to plunk down and and spend. It's a pretty short movie because again, it, it kind of it can't. It, I don't think it would work if it played itself out too long. Uh. If I remember correctly, it's a great dialogue film. Oh, um, it was definitely out of the. I wouldn't say it was like out of the Tarantino kind of like. Um, what was it? I would uh, almost. I would almost say. Five it was days more in the valley. Malik. I'm trying to. What's that? Or not Malika, Mammoth. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. True. 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 Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, that's just I. I, I enjoyed. I wish we would kind of get back to those films again. I feel like they're a little bit played out. Um. But I do miss that kind of era of films of just people who can deliver dialogue really well, just having at it, <laughs> uh, which, you know, that was, that was like what Tarantino's films more used to be. Like, I feel like they're not that anymore. Now he's just in kind of this weird, let's rewrite history thing, um, which is a weird kind of side thing uh, for him. Um, but I mean, there was so many good films that like, well, I won't say good films. There were so many good scripts out there um, <laughs> with like, great scenes where people just like bickering at each other, like whether it be the mammoth Tarantino um, or like some of the Scorsese, I think of that era um, for that like decade or so, like I would say like, eh, maybe it was like 12 years or something like that, like nineties to early two thousands. But uh, one thing that I'll, I'll note about dinner rush is it was the one really good movie directed by its director, this guy, Bob Giraldi, who, if you look at his resume, he did a bunch of, like, all-time classic music videos. Uh, he did Beat It. He did um, Love is a Battlefield. He did Hello by Lionel Richie. Yeah. Uh, but outside of music videos, he did a bunch of, like, really kind of crappy, like, obviously meant to be commercial hits, but none of them really connected. Yeah. Uh, he did a, one of the National Lampoon movies nobody talks about. He did... <laughs> a John Cryer movie in 1987. And um, this was the only movie I can find on his resume that actually like was good and got decent reviews. And what's funny about it is apparently he actually is a like partial owner of a bunch of restaurants in New York city. Uh. And so it's like, instead of taking the job that you think is going to make money, you make the thing that you actually give a shit about. And it turns out, well, who'd have thought? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) man that guy's career is interesting yeah <laughs> like his the like go to everyone go to his imdb page and uh um and just look at everything you're yeah. like how what what he's executive producer on seven thousand uh things um they're all shorts um and <laughs> it's 
probably it's probably ads because he's won a bunch of awards. Like he's he is one of the most famous ad men of his generation. He's like won a bunch of Clio awards and stuff. Is that and is so, literally his only? He did Hiding Out, which I've never heard you of. You looking at feature films or? Oh, I'm just looking at director. Um, yeah, it looks like a yeah, Hiding Out. He did National Lampoon's Movie Madness, uh, which I don't know. I've never seen that. Uh, it may very well be an anthology movie where he only did a sketch. Yeah. And then he did a movie called Club Med, uh, which uh, was such an unimportant footnote that it doesn't have its own Wikipedia page. <laughs> it's just on the Wikipedia page for Bob Giraldi. Wow. He did a, did a film called Hiding Out. A stockbroker on the run from the mob decides to hide out from them by enrolling as a, as a student in high school. And the the lead, the student, is John Cryer. Yeah. And it came out in 87. John Cryer, I feel like, must have been 14, literally. It's like, how old is he? I mean, Cryer, he's been in shit. Superman. What? He's been in Superman 4 by then, right? So. <laughs> John Cryer is, was born in 65? Yeah, I, I could buy that. 60? Like, like, give or take. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Sorry, it's just. Like I don't picture the guy from two uh two and a half men being like in his uh I guess they would have he would have been in his forties when it came out, but yeah. Also cool. you gotta think uh he looks a lot older now because he's Lex Luthor. So he's always yeah. got shaved hair and uh, or a shaved head and facial hair. Oh wow, I forgot he was in hot shots and ever and pretty oh god, yeah, he was fucking in he was ducky and pretty in pink. Oh yeah. Um yeah, shit, I forgot he was <laughs> god damn it. Yeah, and like he was uh he was I, I want that guy's residuals. Holy shit. Oh, I know. Right? <laughs> I mean, no, just like so like he was uh he did a he did a short run um uh on NCIS which plays endlessly. He probably makes yeah. more money off of that than I do in a year just off of that. <laughs> um <laughs> like Will and Grace, he's at a, he's at it up uh, that was the first that was the after run. But like yeah, he just got <laughs> Who's in Becker's? And I mean, and, but. Th- things that are great is stuff like Superman 4, where it's like, it's a terrible movie. Doesn't matter. It's still in all those box sets with the Christopher Reeve movies. So he's going to be residuals. Actually, on, I, I appeared on an episode called, or on a, a podcast recently called Overhated, talking about movies that don't get enough credit. And uh, I obviously was there to talk about Josie and the Pussycats. The, a couple of episodes before me, they did an episode on Superman 4 where the guest host was John Cryer. Nice. Uh, he and also, he, he did not actually defend the movie in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, his entire thing was like, you know, it was great working with Chris and Gene, and the screenplay they gave me be- at the beginning before they slashed the budget was terrific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, um, oh, what should my next film be? Um, let me do the Rush Limbaugh um, paper thing. Um, let's go with the uh, Bandits. Nice. Um, Bruce Willis and um, where did my screen Billy go? Bob it is. Yeah, no, I was looking for my screen. Uh, Bruce oh. Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Kate Blanchett. Um, crazy weird cast. Um, also in 2001, so all of them are roughly at the height of their powers <laughs> yeah um maybe cape blanchett a little bit early i think um 
but um, it was um, yeah, two two bank robbers fall in love with the same character. But it's but this twist is it's a Barry Levinson film. So like the most boring kind of like plot idea turns into just a great solid film. Like I don't have a I don't have a lot to say other this other than it's one of those films you're like, oh, this looks very like kind of boring. And then you're like, oh, it's a Barry Levinson film. Like yeah. in in the era that Barry that meant something. I hate to yeah. say like that has. Uh, sadly kind of stopped meaning things but um <laughs> I, I will say ironically this is my favorite Kate Blanchett movie of 2001 and uh the other one that she did that year was just playing downstairs a few minutes ago uh Lord of the Rings uh <laughs> that was on my that's on my like I should we should mention it because it's it's one of those films that's so enormous. Oh, yeah. I didn't like the first one that much. Like, I, I loved it in the fact that, holy shit, this is this enormous film. And, oh, my God, they pulled it the fuck off. Like, not as a Lord of the Rings person at all, but, like, holy shit. Especially when you're going, oh, this is part one of three and all these things. And you're going, wow. Um, and then it won, which I still love to this day, it won absolutely fucking nothing, basically, at the Oscars. Because the Oscars decided... Nah, let's not, like, literally give, like, as much as that, like, Lord of the Rings is not one of my, like, top probably even 30 or 40 films. Yeah. The idea that he didn't win an Oscar for this every single year is oh, just beyond. It's, it's like, nuts. capabilities as a director, especially if you watch some of the, like, the behind-the-scenes thing, he was yeah. literally running two different sets at the same time, like, via, like, <laughs> you're like... Oh yeah, but um, I don't know what what probably what did win in two thousand. <laughs> like, uh, I am Sam won for best actor. I remember that being gross. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, I, Steven Soderbergh won in two thousand one for um, Traffic, uh, but I don't know what that been. That would have been not the year. No, that would have been Ron Howard. Who? I'm sorry, Ron Howard won. Oh, for, for a beautiful film. mind, which is not a movie I especially liked. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. What's funny? It, I was telling you this beforehand, like on. Uh, I, I was telling you this before we went on mic, but like looking back at this list of like what's what happened this year, you very much have the like, oh yeah, that's right. Ninety percent of everything is garbage. Yeah. Uh, but also, I just remember all of the things that everybody except me loved where it's like, I have no love in my heart whatsoever for uh, Moulin Rouge or training day or a beautiful mind. Yeah. Uh, all of them are impressive for what they are, but they are not at all for me and will not be on my top five recommendations of anything. I've actually, yeah. Um, I've actually been like thinking lately of having to like, I think it popped up on one of the streaming networks. I forget which one that uh like, um of rewatching Moulin Rouge because that's one of the films that um I watched endlessly because of an ex and not, I wouldn't I that's that's wrong not because of an ex I liked the film at the time um right. and I liked the the like the set design and you know how they did how they transferred from things and whatever considering a lot of so much of it was practical effects um and I thought that was great, but I'm like, I do genuinely wonder. I'm like, do I watch this now and go, oh, holy shit, that was a film that, because I was a, not only because I was a different person, but it was also right. like, because who you're with, which I think is always a 
is always an influence of like I if if I see a film with somebody versus going alone going to film alone or if I see a movie with you as opposed to seeing a movie with someone else yeah um, I was like I couldn't think of anyone because I don't go see movies with <laughs> 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 I'm like someone else I don't know theoretically uh, theoretically I have other friends um, but um, but yeah it's 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 funny how that like especially like during this era um, but. <laughs> Not to bring an X into the conversation, but uh, um, uh, go ahead. I guess it's you. I I don't really have anything else to say other than Bandits, other than it's a film that no, shockingly did not do well, I think, just because of the stories and like the director. And it was, I think, a really good film. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go to another one that I know you're not going to have on your list. (laughs) um and again like i i have like two four six i have eight titles on my five for five yeah because uh this was a year like like we said that i i watched everything yeah uh and so like i i'm kind of skipping around and and picking at random but i'm gonna go with uh jay and silent bob strike back (laughs) because even though it is not by any stretch of the imagination, one of the like great films with a capital F of the year. Uh, it it is a movie that I saw so many times. And I, <laughs> How I, many times, Russ? <laughs> well, in theaters we saw that 28 times. Uh, I, we were we were going for 37 for the clerk's reference, but uh, if you remember, that movie came out in August of 2001, and then in September of 2001, 9/11 happened, yep. and because Will Ferrell referred to Jay and Silent Bob as terrorists in the movie like 30 or 40 times, mm-hmm. uh, the movie got pulled from theaters instantly. Yeah. Uh, Which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, just <laughs> fucking stupid. We were. Not, uh, it's, it's a past tense. We are. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit when, when Reboot came out. Like, I, I as, as, ridiculous as as the the world of kevin smith tends to be uh their comfort food for me and uh one of the things that i noticed outside of josie is that the most of the movies i'm super passionate about from 2001 are not really comfort food like they are things where you're just like okay well this is kind of super pretentious but it was so good you know the yeah. dinner rush and amelie stuff yeah. uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna slide jay and silent bob strike back in here uh i i maintain that it was a really funny movie that it's a fun idea that the the scene with ben affleck was one of the funniest things you'll ever see in your life which is why it's memed to death on the internet even though most people don't remember this movie very yeah. well uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I I will never forget the first time you saw them having the lightsaber battle with Mar- with Mark Hamill <laughs> and the gigantic like screen sized Chiron that came on and said, "Hey kids, it's Mark Hamill." <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, which is also kind of funny because he wasn't a huge star at that moment. Uh, no. So like the fact that Mark Hamill was in this film, like our generation was like, yeah, and like probably quite a few people of a like younger age, because I mean, like if you, you could, it was of an era that um, still of an era that I think if you could, it, as if you didn't watch, I mean, like I, 
especially back then, I knew people who had never seen any Star Star Wars films. Yeah. Uh, and so if you didn't watch Star Wars films, you had no fucking idea who Mark Hamill was for the most part. Like, I, I will say, by 2001, I think he had started to gain more mainstream notoriety simply because the first of the prequels had already come out. And so even if he wasn't in them, they were constantly like the, the Star Wars movies were in the zeitgeist. Yeah, I mean, I, I still feel like it was a bit of a reach then. Like, because, I mean, he hadn't, um, there was definitely a big age group that just didn't, that potentially wouldn't have, uh, um, that wouldn't have known what he was. Because even with, you know, even with his voice acting, which I assume he was probably doing some of his voice acting by then. Oh, he was doing the Batman animated series. Was, okay, yeah. And, um, and like, I, I watched the Batman animated series, and I don't think I knew that he did that which is a credit to him um <laughs> you know uh, but um but uh it is it, it's just it, that's something that like i always just think about where it's just like now i think partially because of twitter partially because of the obviously the new films are yeah. i feel as though like came out and they're a wider demo that yeah. watched those films I, I definitely think that like they've made a conscious effort to not ever you know because between jedi and uh uh what was the first one phantom menace yeah between jedi and phantom menace <clears throat> obviously the, the ewok movies came out and the clone the uh droids animated series yeah. but like most years between 83 or whatever it was and 99 there was just no star wars content to be had you know, yeah, and yeah. I mean, obviously there were comics and novels and all that shit, but you basically had to be a fan already to care about that. Yeah. And I think one of the things they discovered post 99 was even if there's no movie, we're going to make sure that there's some super mainstream, like the animated movie, the animated series The you know, there was always video games. There was always, it never went kind of dormant again. Yeah. And so I think post attack of the clones it's much much harder to avoid yeah. star wars even if you're not a big fan of the franchise yeah. yeah whereas you're right there was about a 10-year period where like there's a there's a generation of kids who might just not have had that much engagement with <laughs> there was also i mean i think there was also the weird thing with star wars where and i i know i fell into it because i absolutely worshipped and loved the the film series and then by the late 90s early 2000s i actively did not consider myself a fan mm -hmm. um and and then have since kind of like grown back into it like i still like the new series better um but um but that's me um, <laughs> surely not a controversial uh stance uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um but uh but yeah uh i don't know that was that was all i had on that but uh no i mean i i i love jane silent bob strike back i like jane silent bob strike back better than the uh better than reboot um and um like and partially because it's it's one of the very few films for i think our like this is very as as two straight white men like saying the idea that there's not a lot of films that are speak to us is is bullshit but um to us in particular like people like our like our geekdom and kind of our like that isn't quite like again not star wars geekdom not yeah. Star Trek geekdom. Like I both like them, but not. I'm not in any way sure. I wouldn't consider myself a fan. Um, 
but like the very the Kevin Smith cinematic universe is kind of what <laughs> yeah what our geekdom is and so like this is pure fucking fan service and it was so much fun and it was just like like one of his like one of his films that are just pure joy like yeah. it doesn't even have like the heavy even the like the fake heaviness that Clerks 2 had you know what yeah. I mean like which didn't, didn't really have heaviness but like you know on the scale of Kevin Smith films outside of that are the you know um uh uh Jay and Silent Bob world of of things yeah. not not including you know Tusk uh, which I, I, still, I would I never have, actually see Tusk. I think Clerks 2 would have come across as much more earnestly yeah. heavy if yeah. they removed the bestiality scene like, I think that Donkey Show so completely undermined everything on one side of it. <laughs> it's not often you could say that about a film. <laughs> like, well, you know, Tears of Endearment would have been, I feel like, a better romantic film, better, better, more earnest film if you had just removed the beast in the donkey scene. <laughs> like, well, you know, um. Jane Campion's the, the piano would have been <laughs> <laughs> that weird donkey scene in the middle. She's got her finger that's the wood that's made out of wood, and then there was the donkey. It was so weird. <laughs> anyway, uh. <laughs> uh, I now want to do like fan edits of like taking the like the donkey <laughs> scene from. <laughs> Clerks too, and like plopping it into weird parts of other films. <laughs> like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Yo, Adrian. All right, so I I think we can. I mean, we we talked a lot about Jane Silent Bob Strike Back when we did the reboot episode. I think we were. <laughs> yeah. Um. God, fuck. Um. Shit. Um, I'm going to go with, you know, um, one of the kind of, you know, really one that probably not a lot of people have heard about um, and uh, and say um, Ocean's Eleven. Um, <laughs> just because, like, I can't deny that, especially at the time, like, mm-hmm. I feel like the franchise has kind of killed itself more yeah. so than, which is usually, I, I usually, I kind of say that's unfair about like, oh, it killed my childhood or it killed, it made me hate the other film more or something like that, a sequel or yeah. whatever. Um, you know, I mean, like, the Matrix sequels sucked balls, but like, I still, I started rewatching the Matrix the other day and I'm like, God damn it, this is fucking great. Yeah. Like, it's still like, genuinely amazing. Like, what they did, not only at the time and the fact that it's still, 22 years later stands up and since 11 like you just don't get a lot of well at the time period you didn't get these films i don't think um and now you have time but most 99 percent of them suck balls yeah uh, because they're a trying to be oceans 11 um and b like trying to be like oh we're just it's not oceans 11 because it's all women or it's not it's not Ocean's 11 because I don't know, there's a black guy or something. Like, like just so kind I, of like... <laughs> I will say, um, Ocean's Eleven also, we talked a little bit about this with Gore Verbinski. Yeah. But, like, it, it it started this thing of, like, weird indie slash, like, quasi-indie filmmakers yeah. getting just gigantic budgets to do whatever the hell they wanted. 
It's yeah. like you had oceans and you had uh, pirates a few years later and you had people just tossing money at people who came out of the like Miramax machine of the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Uh, and, and kind of the, uh, I mean the fact that you can pull together like every single one of these goddamn actors um, in this film are still, well, wait, is Bernie Mac still alive? No, Bernie Mac passed away. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, I mean, down to like Casey Affleck is still like a pro, relatively big star um and and just like everybody kind of like there's not a lot of films that you're like oh all of these people survived 20 years of hollywood yeah you know i mean (laughs) julie roberts still everyone is still huge in this film yeah and um and it's just so it's it it's simple which is i think what the best thing is there's not there's no cg there's no huge massive explode in the later ones they kind of i think obviously did more because they have to uh, one-up themselves at at some point which i think is always a bad fucking idea when you do these things but um it it's genuinely still enjoyable to watch because also george clooney and brad pitt's rapport is just so fucking great and like the fact that like you don't see them in films that often i feel like there's at least one or two other films that they've been in together but i don't remember them actually being like sharing screen time yeah they were in burn after reading together and i think yeah. the only time they shared any screen time is when george clooney shot him in the face yes yes <laughs> yeah the uh back and forth in that film didn't really work too much for me <laughs> um, <or laughs> brad pitt. um but and also brad pitt wasn't brad wasn't the cool Brad no, Pitt, which is kind of fantastic. And like everyone's just being the coolest, except for Matt Damon, who is, you know, the under underling and mm-hmm. uh even the side like Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck like yeah. kind of side story they had was was super fun. Um but uh, especially considering both of them are Casey Affleck's kind of a piece of shit. And I don't know about Scott Kahn. Nah, I don't <laughs> know like, nothing about Scott Yeah, Kahn. I know. He is though one of those. I'm like, if somebody told me something, I would is he in? He's in the the CBS reboot of Hawaii Five O, right? Yes, yes, of course he is. Which I think is over now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was uh, genuinely perfect casting, I believe. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, but it was like you know, I mean, like you kind of got an era. I mean, obviously it wasn't the first one because God in sixty seconds was uh, was before this. But I did enjoy. I do enjoy those like huge fucking casts. Um, it's also one of the great ways I think that you that Hollywood used to introduce the next big person as yeah. opposed to either a a comic book film or b um, just saying fuck it and like putting a fran- putting a IP product behind the person then hoping yeah. for the best kind of thing. Um, and I'll get to a movie in a minute that kind of killed that. <laughs> Clearly, it's it's Royal Ten Bombs, but um, but anyway, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's all I got. I mean, I I think that if for some reason I can't imagine, I feel like it's a film that everyone on the planet has seen at some point because it was it's still it's probably on right now. Like CBS <laughs> airs it at least once a month, I'm pretty sure, um, or whatever generic channel like that is probably does it, and uh, deservedly so because it's a good film, I think. Yeah. Uh, ironically, my next. Uh, my next pick is Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
and and for a lot of the same reasons that you kind of talked about with oceans it's like this is a movie that it was the ideal version of what it wanted to be you know we've seen a lot of uh wes anderson movies since yeah and uh they all have virtually identical sensibilities to the point where it had become a joke you know patrick willems had that terrific what if uh wes anderson directed the uh the x-men video yes but uh everybody in this movie is just at the uh, at the top of their game uh it's really smart and really sharply written it's funny as hell yeah. uh I, I, I'm sure it's been a while since I watched it. I'm sure there's probably some stuff that doesn't hold up, but uh, I, I think that in terms of the like awkward outsider humor, yeah. um, Ghost World was one of the titles in my like top eight, yeah. and I did, just didn't weigh in on it because you did. But mm-hmm. like this is kind of the like Ghost World with a budget. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, but again, like very similar to what you said about Ocean's Eleven, like everybody in this movie is not only great, but just about everybody in this movie is still like a star now, still like still doing great work. Uh, The ones who are not are by and large people who have either aged out, like obviously uh, Gene Hackman or people like Ben Stiller who have decided like they want to go behind the camera and, and direct and produce. But, uh, it's I think that the later Wes Anderson movies and the ways that he basically used the exact same cast and it never came together the same way. Yeah. Uh, tells you everything you need to know about exactly how good Royal Tenenbaums is as a standalone movie. <clears throat> yeah. And every single person in the film, I mean, like. Um, is a like, I mean, like you said, the best version of themselves, you know, I mean, like. Owen Wilson is doing the best version of themselves. Luke Wilson is doing the best version. Gwyneth Paltrow, like this to me is probably um, outside of contagion. Uh, and that's only half of the joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I also kind of believe that she's great in that. Um, but um, like, it's, I can't, I'm like looking, I have to like look back through her career and just go, what's better. Um, Certainly not. Anything, like, I think, People would maybe argue Shakespeare in Love, but that, like, that's one of those movies for me where I was like, it was perfectly serviceable, but it's not, like, the the best of anybody. Um, Wait, she was in Clerks, the TV series? I think she just voiced Gwyneth Paltrow for two seconds in a cameo because she was dating Ben at the time. You remember there was the Gwyneth Paltrow with the... the Uh, that's just funny. Um, it's just like, her that just went, oh, or whatever. It's it is. also funny because they on IMDb they don't call it Clerks the animated series, it's just Clerks TV series. And yeah. the fact that there was a attempt at a Clerks TV series. Yeah, the, the, say, actually, you know, the anniversary party is the only other film I think she's better in. Um, and that is not, I don't believe like her playing. She's playing the young ingenue Ditz to yeah. some level in that film, uh, which. Well, shit. Did that that didn't come out? I guess that actually it did, did come out. Um, because so, that actually was the movie. Spoilers. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have a change up, but yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I was gonna. That was the movie that um Alan and Parker were doing immediately prior to filming Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure that during production on Josie, Alan brought uh, if not the cast, at least Harry and Deb, to 
the premiere of the anniversary party. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, that's that's one of the ones that I had because I have like a bunch of movies that I've listed off, either things that were huge commercial hits that you want to at least acknowledge or things that I was like, ah, this is the stuff that I either loved 20 years ago or should at least mention in passing. Yeah. And that's definitely one of the ones on my list. It's like I, I've only watched it maybe twice. So it's certainly I, I I haven't got enough of a relationship with it to put it in my top five. But uh, it's a, a really beautiful movie. <laughs> and uh, it reminded me of like an artier <coughs> fictional uh, version of the last party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, Royal Time Out, because I'm definitely going to talk about uh, Anniversary yeah, Party. Yeah. That'll uh, be my next one. Um, for some reason, it wasn't on the Wikipedia page of like 2001 films. So I actually, or at least I didn't see it on there. Um, and so I, I actually originally didn't have my list, but I did have Royal Tenenbaums on, on my list, which because uh, not necessarily because it's one of my favorite films like i own it um if it's on tv i will watch it for a bit yeah i haven't um, watched it in a while because my wife really really doesn't like it and so <laughs> when you have a when you have a movie like that it becomes like okay well i can only watch it when i'm sitting when i'm alone yeah and when i'm alone i generally have either new stuff or work stuff or you know something yeah yeah or you're going to watch something you actually enjoy, um, like genuinely, not just like, oh, that is a film I haven't seen in a while. I need to go back yeah. and remind myself of it, essentially. <clears throat> but yeah, no, I mean, that it like looking it's it's kind of surprising when you look um, as a person who has kind of come to, I wouldn't say dislike his work, um, Wes Anderson's work, but is kind of continually disappointed by it mm-hmm. um, in, in kind of like all of his, like I, I was genuinely surprised how much I liked Isle of Dogs. Um, I was surprised as well that I liked um, uh, Fantastic Fox, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, but like Grand Budapest, uh, Grand, Grand Budapest Hotel, I, genuinely disliked um the um darjeeling limited i watched and i was like why am i watching this like i'm just so i don't like any of these people and like and i think part of it is that i just i even though i love rushmore um because and because jason Schwartzman i think is playing and i don't know whether it's one or the other whether like in my head that's who jason Schwartzman is or he was so good at that. And like, but in my head, anytime Jason, Jason Schwartzman is in a film, I'm like, he's that fucking annoying prick from yeah. Rushmore. And he was great in that film because that's who he was supposed to be. And like, yeah. I love him in this film and I will watch it if it's on TV. Um, like I will recommend it to other people. Um, that film, like Brian Cox is fantastic. Bill Murray's fucking great. Like everybody else is great. The, the teacher yeah. whose name I can't, Olivia Williams, I think. Um, is just really great, especially like her dealing with Jason Schwartzman. But like Jason Schwartzman combined with um, the rest of kind of that cast who like with Owen Wilson playing kind of the a more obnoxious version of Owen Wilson, which there's always two. There's like, oh, I like him. He's fun or whatever. And then there's a kind of like an annoying prick. I can't stand his voice. I want to punch him in the face, um, which obviously he got punched in the face in that film. Um, but <laughs> I will but, like, say. And for- Life Aquatic is just like, 
is just too adorable and it's yeah. kind of obnoxious. Uh, like I will watch, it's a film that I think I can handle once every five years. Yeah. Um, and I'm not quite sure whether I've watched it in five years. I'm sure Paige has, Paige, I don't know, he probably watched it early on. Like, Paige, my friend Paige, are, uh, and, oh, what did Paige do recently uh, yeah, she, with you? She did the layout for the, the Josie and the Pussycats book I did. Uh, she, uh, Available at josiebook.com? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she, she put together the uh, the wonderful leopard print that separates uh, whenever I'm talking from when the important people are talking. Mm-hmm. My mom specifically, when she opened up the book, she's like, oh, that's adorable. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, but yes, anyway, we're, we're very funny, bad I, at, at advertisement segues. <laughs> what's funny is that uh, one of the only things that I really like Schwartzman in, and I, I agree with you, I think he's actually really good, but just he doesn't, the characters he plays don't generally appeal to me. Yeah. Um, but one of the only things I remember really liking him in was uh, Bored to Death with uh zach galifianakis and ted danson yeah and i don't like galifianakis either but the move like the the scripts were so strong and the performances were so good that it really carried me through not especially caring about either of the two principal leads um and then it also gave you it, it gave you an entire tv show worth of ted danson being the same smarmy prick as he was in mumford uh, yeah, yeah, and and so I that was I, I I loved that show for the five minutes that was on TV. Oh, by the way, I, I recently had a random uh, Mumford um, connection with some random person on on social media. Somebody somebody somehow I think it was um, what I think it was it was uh, Elon Musk came out with that like cyborg thing. Oh yes, and then somebody was like Mumford, and I was like yes. <laughs> And we were like, very clearly, it was like two people in the world. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Which, like, it's weird because it happens every couple of years. Someone makes a Mumford reference, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a rash of them when uh, Netflix rebooted um, Unsolved Mysteries. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, no, I mean, no, the only like it is actually amazing because I think I have to rethink like my dislike of Jason Schwartzman because like I'm looking over his over his career and I'm just like he's he was fantastic in Scott Pilgrim because he played that character again he played like basically the adult version of of Max Fisher it's kind of funny uh in in Gideon Graves um and he was just terrible and yeah he was supposed to be like (laughs) you're supposed to eat him he was also kind of that in uh the tv show uh in the tv version of Fargo uh, which, god damn, that's a weird fucking TV series. I, I still have not seen any of it. It's one of those that just has... It's so almost really good. Yeah. But, like, it's it's one of those shows that, like, has the... It came out of, like, the best version of that idea possible. You yeah. know, the movie. Because, like, I rewatched the movie recently, and I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is still just fucking amazing. Like, it's just like, how does this work? Why do I care? And, like, every, yeah. yeah, but um like oh cohen brothers um of the early 2000s late 90s um but where have you gone um but yeah anyway anyway um schwartzman was also in uh walk hard the dewey cox story which is not a movie i especially liked but it was the first big commercial hit for jake kasdan uh, who did zero effect so (laughs) yeah um and he's you know uh 
Adrian Balboa's son. I know that's so weird. I know. I don't know why that's weird, but it it feels weird. <laughs> it really it uh, it I didn't know until like literally when Creed was coming out, and somehow I stumbled across it, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> which which it, it does make me think because uh um there was some film that oh in bandits um um scout willis was in that film and it's like oh. her kind of her only real role that she did but then recently i wasn't a scout willis who got into the thing where um the the short video came out and one of them one of the kids were one of the ki- kids of celebrities were like no um this film is it it's uh, Hollywood isn't a um, just, you know, a family business or whatever. It's a meritocracy. I don't know if you remember this controversy from no, a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah. No, somebody pointed out where it's just like, Oh, it's basically just like, it's this film got produced, even though it was just a short film or whatever, but like this film got produced at all. Cause it was all like kids of, it was like Johnny Depp's kid. And then somebody else's kid directed by somebody else's kid. And it was just like, this is like the example of like why like and of course they were all white kids um and so it's just like this is an example of like why we have a problem like black people have a problem getting into uh getting into hollywood and then i forget who fucking uh, ben stiller ben stiller like for some reason took it up as a banner to argue about it which of course you know if i was ben stiller i'd probably shut the fuck up on this issue um (laughs) you know like again you have made your own career absolutely like you don't it, yeah. but would you have gotten that chance if your dad and mom weren't gods of Hollywood, like comedy yeah. Hollywood? Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously we don't. I mean, we know Jerry Stiller because of fucking Seinfeld. Even though Jerry Stiller is by far more talented and better than that uh, than that entire goddamn awful series. Um, but yeah, let's um, talk about um, the anniversary party. Um, which again is another holy shit I I don't even know how the fuck I found this film um, originally because I know that I'm 99% sure I showed it to you for the first time because I feel like I was the evangelical I still have the DVD the the I think it's Warner Brothers because I think Warner Brothers were the only ones doing that the clamshell like so you snapped open one thing and then like it was a cardboard front um I somehow still have that somewhere um, <laughs> because those th- those DVD cases usually didn't survive too long because if they got a drop of water anyway. But um, the we do remember everyone. This is a physical media podcast, and we do yeah. like talking about physical media. So, <laughs> so, but but anyway, this cast is just like <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. insane. Like it is it is one of those films that was uh, um, produced in a lab specifically for me in the year of 2001 um it is ellen cumming uh jennifer jason lee um otis the dog anyway um but uh parker posey kevin klein uh john c Riley, like in one of his best fucking roles ever, oh yeah like ever uh gwyneth paltrow not like kind of playing like very much like down on her like playing against type yeah. uh well playing into type but like yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, Jennifer Beals. Just like you go through the watch this film and you're like, oh, it's every single fucking independent film. And then oh yeah, oh, yeah. So, uh, uh, Phoebe Cates. Um, and just everyone. A either a you recognize them from some indie film at that era, but also like, and then also just literally like 
Kevin Klein's kids. <laughs> and like, just like it was a very much a family affair. Um, Jet, uh, uh, Alan Cumming and, Je- uh, and Jennifer Jason Lee also wrote it themselves. Uh, and I'm pretty sure. Weirdly, I'm, I remember, yeah, as far as I know, I don't think Alan's directed another feature film. Uh, he did recently direct a po- like a, a drama, like a comedy podcast about uh, a group of lesbians who try to rob a sperm bank. <laughs> yes. But uh, it's it's so weird because it was like it was a genuinely successful movie. Hot white uh, heist. Yeah, hot white heist. I talked to the guy who created the like who wrote it uh, for work. So it is funny because so Alan Cumming has come up in my world, um, in my world of politics and, and extremism and that sort of thing, yeah. because I don't know if you've heard, but he's uh, um, currently involved in basically trying to do a monkey heist, um, uh, which is just a uh, uh, kind of a uh, James. Uh, but, but anyway, but <laughs> got to tie everything into everything. But no, no, no. A film that um, I'm blanking on the name of the film at this point, um, but he was in a film many years ago. Um, with a monkey um, and I'm trying to remember who the main actress was in it. Um, but basically he played the assistant to a very wealthy uh, woman who kept monkeys based on a true story or whatever. He got very close with this one monkey um, and like they were sharing food and everything like that. And they became friends and <laughs> um, that monkey then obviously went back to its home and he, um, that helped him become, I mean, he's, I, I'm pretty sure he's a, a, a vegetarian, vegan, um, and kind of involved in PETA in general. Um, but just recently, uh, PETA, um, filed a lawsuit to try to get, uh, monkeys out of this one home in, in the South, basically to pull them out because they were, they assumed they, they, they knew that they were being treated poorly. You know, we have a tiger King kind of situation thing, but with monkeys and like, but these monkeys were for Hollywood and, you know, they acted in a bunch of films, the film, the monkey that in particular was a relatively famous one at the time and everything like that anyway. But, um, so he was part of this law, part of this lawsuit in one way or the other to try to get the monkey out. They, the, the owner of this monkey, how many times can I say monkey? Um, the owner of this monkey, um, claimed that the monkey died um, and was cremated, except in the documents from the, wherever you get documents from that prove a uh, monkey was cremated, um, said that it was uh, burnt at a 150 to 160 or 160 to 170 degree fire. Mind you, if you've yeah, ever done any cooking, 160 degrees is not going to do that. They then claimed it was going to be, it was, oh, we fucked up. It was actually, we forgot a zero, basically, uh, which is actually ranging about the same temperature. The wild connection, though, who is the lawyer to that monkey owner? It is the main lawyer to the January 6th defendants, a guy named Jonathan Klein, who now, get this, has disappeared off the face of the planet. Um, he, uh, is defending a mass number of the January 6th clients, even though he's never been really a criminal defendant lawyer in that way. Um, but he uh, is kind of a grifter lawyer who kind of goes, goes towards things. Um, he's, his name has been connected with a dozen different things. Um, but (laughs) he also now, there are rumors that he is basically on a ventilator with, uh, COVID-19. Um, some people have claimed that is wrong, but no one can provide the main lawyer for the January 6th defendants at this point. And those trials are kind of piling up at this point. 
Yeah. And so that is how part that is how Alan Cumming is connected uh, to a monkey who is connected to the January 6th riots that uh, happened. <laughs> and that is like the hilarious. Um, if you go to the Daily Beast, um, uh, uh, while uh, W E I L L I believe is, is her last name. Um, uh, Kelly uh, Kelly Weil uh, has done a lot of really great reporting on it. She kind of did the deep dive of this yeah. madness and read all the documents. And so, like, if you're interested in how Alan Cumming is involved with a disappeared monkey, and uh, yeah, that's that's it's a great story. But he actually is like he has a web. If you go to Alan Cumming's website, he actually has a page devoted to this monkey on his website and in his book. Um, he also has like a chapter devoted to talking about uh, his connection with. Um, I'm trying to say, how do I say this without saying monkey one more time? But also saying <laughs> his, his very close connection with primates, basically. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's very weird, but also very heartwarming, and also shows you like it's always nice when you actually find out that um, you know actors that you really like are actually like genuinely good people and like don't just care for themselves but like he's done a lot of fighting for this uh for uh for the monkeys um <laughs> like what's that no no pri- private apes are a different thing monkeys are different than apes and anyway anyway but that was a weird way to talk about anniversary party um but yeah it's this weird film of um, it feels improv, and I think if I remember correctly, it is mostly improv in kind of the way that, uh, in the way that um, uh, Larry David uh, does does his show, where it's like, or Kirby Enthusiasm, yeah. uh, where it's kind of driven, you know, plot points or whatever that's gone along. Um, but it's it just it's a anniversary party of them getting together. There's kind of like oh did he cheat? Is he interested? Are they going to get divorced? Are they going to continue on? Are they going to get I think they there was like a at least a talk about like being remarried like doing a remarried ceremony you know marriage ceremony um and just like everyone's just so fucking great there's this one scene of uh with um I think it's Sophie Cates uh or not Sophie Cates Phoebe Cates um Sophie is her name in the film um where she's like, oh, you don't want kids. There's so much responsibility. You can't get high. You, know, you can't, like, just this great, like, as a person who was, like, at 20, 2021 when I saw this film, and just, like, you know, in a, in a, in, I was in a long-term relationship, and, and, like, watching it, and just kind of, like, it, I think it actually genuinely, like, fucked me up, where I'm like, oh, I don't want kids, and this was a film that probably did that, where I'm just like, oh, you can't just, like, fuck off to, like, uh, you know, a Caribbean island and, like, yeah. just do what you want to do, and it's, like, this great moment, and, like, but it's, like, great at this point, especially considering, like, almost all of these actors, I think maybe outside of Kevin Klein, were probably in, like, their mid-30s, early 30s at the time, um, maybe even some younger, uh, because, but, and so, like, it's everyone's cast perfectly because yeah. in part because they're kind of playing a version of themselves. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know if I've shown it, this film to quite a few number of people and like 50% have loved it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a film that you love it and it becomes a film that is yours or you just don't like it at all. And that's yeah. so like both of them, 100% acceptable. I can totally see like one thing that it's one of my films that I'm like I'm terrified of rewatching again right now especially at 40 and being like yeah. I don't like it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> because it's literally like it's like every single time I see the DVD box or the DVD I'm just like oh, I love that film so much and like have all the good memories of like watching it and loving it so much and then yeah. 
But there's a, like a lot of those, especially this era films where I'm just like, I don't know if I want to watch it again. Yeah, because like 20 years is just enough time for for you to be like, oh, I was a totally different person, and this yeah. is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Very different person. I was in a long-term relationship at 20. I was engaged and watching this film. And now I'm 40 fucking years old. All my friends have kids. <laughs> and I'm somehow the single one <laughs> with no kids, except for a um, Labradoodle who is knocked out on the bed. But anyway, what's what's up for you? Uh, well, at this point, we are at number five. So it's Josie and the Pussycats. Because... <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to go through and I was tempted to just kind of take it as a given that Josie and the Pussycats is on the list and, and put uh, Memento here. But, uh, but no, Josie, I should talk about a little bit because uh, this is one of those movies that, and and this is one of the things that came up over and over again in the interviews I did for the book. Uh, It's easy to assume, yeah, that movie's not for me because of like the premise and the fact that it's based on this like kind of shitty cartoon from 50 years ago. And, you know, and so uh, it's, it's a movie that very much has the like, Oh, it's so much better than it has any right to be that that really like, and that's my favorite kind of movie uh, is the stuff where, cause like when you've got just a spectacular premise and, and a, like a, a killer cast and like, you've got, you know, memento or the royal tenenbaums like it's kind of your game to lose mm-hmm. um whereas when you make a movie that implicitly kind of sounds shitty on paper and it's great yeah it's just like oh so how'd you do that <laughs> um yeah and so you know josie is is incredibly smart and really funny uh the cast is is i mean it is a pretty stacked cast although at that time rosario and uh alan cumming weren't like star stars yet um but uh everybody just knocking it out of the park uh paulo costanzo uh being a a great straight man uh for a lot of stuff he he had to pivot a lot like he, he would pivot from being the straight man in some scenes to being like the anxiety riddled comic guy and having uh missy pyle be his essentially straight man in the next scene and so uh, you really like everybody in this movie got kind of a nice workout. I don't think uh, as much as I love Rachel Lee Cook, like actually I, I, I'm one of the five people who really enjoyed Antitrust, uh, which I, I haven't watched in 15 yeah. years. But like because Tim Robbins and Rachel Lee Cook were in it, I, I watched yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Such but like I don't know that Rachel ever had anything else that gave her as much to do and challenged her as much. And she still kind of just killed it. Um, you know, I loved scorched, which was a movie she did a couple of years later with Gavin. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Uh, and it had, uh, John Cleese and, uh, Woody from cheers and, uh, uh, Alicia Silverstone in it. And that was a, a great movie and Rachel was great in it, but she had like 10 minutes of screen time and everybody in that movie was an archetype. So you didn't quite get to flex your muscles. Um, and, and certainly I think filmmaking wise, the fact that they did the, like, first of all, the, 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 the fact that they were able to kind of lovingly parody a lot of this stuff. Cause it's like, you have uh, Maddie Libatique who had already shot, I think a Backstreet Boys video uh, as your cinematographer, you have uh, Babyface, who produced a bunch of in sync music, doing the soundtrack, like producing your soundtrack. 
And it was like, you're doing this thing where you're satirizing, but you're satirizing and, and, and the people who are doing it are people who have actually worked on the thing. And yeah. so you don't get into the shitty, like <clears throat> dunking on the thing. It's just like, no, like it's a wink and a nod satire where it's like, Oh, you, you understand this joke because this stuff is everywhere and you're familiar with the visual language of boy bands. Yeah, you know, you yeah, get yeah. these jokes because you know, you understand the pervasiveness of product placement. And when we put it just everywhere to where it can't possibly be ignored, you realize that it loses all its meaning, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so it's one of those movies that I, I felt like it took a bunch of big swings. Uh, it's, it's one of those movies where I, I find something new all the time. Uh, the other day, it's actually, it's funny, um, in the movie, there's uh, the Laughing Girls, which is like the antagonists at the beginning of the movie who crap on the pussycats at their like small gig in Riverdale, who actually, if you watch the trailer, the Giggling Girl or the Laughing Girls are in the trailer, like doing their thing. But um, if you look at it from the like rule of threes, like you'd probably be able to suss out like, oh, there was something more with those girls that didn't come out in the movie ultimately. And that's because the test audiences hated them and they weren't super key to the plot. So they pulled them out of a couple of scenes, including the big concert at the end. And one of my favorite little anecdotes from production is I figured out by talking to some extras who were in the scene that those people were at big concert and what their role there was. Yeah. And when we did our theatrical screening about two weeks ago or whatever, I noticed in the scene during immediately prior to the big concert, when like they're in, you know, the pussycats are held hostage in the car and they're trying to get Josie to go on stage on the monitors. At one point you can see the laughing girls in a shot on the monitors yeah. And I'm just like, hey, there is evidence that they were in that, you know, <laughs> which there's also a photograph in my book yeah. that was taken from the like giant like uh, <clears throat> screen behind the stage yeah. of them, you know, and the laughing girls. One of them is Catherine Isabel from Ginger Snaps. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, Marnie Alton. Marnie's the one I spoke to and she's uh, like a lifestyle like vlogger and stuff. Now she owns M slash body. Uh, and basically she's, she's continues to be a professional, beautiful person 20 years later. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's one of the movies, you know, and again, like some of the stuff that I notice is silly little stuff like that, where it's like, Hey, Hey, look at that. There's a shot that I missed. Um, and some of it is slightly bigger, like, you know, the Swami Muktananda thing, which is one of my favorite things to relate. There's a, just a throwaway joke in the beginning of the movie to, Swami Muktananda and it would be easy enough to assume like that's a bullshit name but in fact it's actually <laughs> this like spiritualist who helped Olivia Hussey like pull out of her nosedive in the 70s after uh, her first divorce after her divorce um, and he, because Olivia's son Alex is actually a member of Dujour it becomes like oh so like the random Swami that a guy from Dujour name drops is super significant to the personal life of the other guy from Dujour. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like, 
Yeah, it's a it's a charming movie. It's really funny, but it's also incredibly smart. It has a, a lot of kind of it's 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 you know got this weird anti-capitalist, anti-consumerist uh, message couched in you know beautiful young women playing power punk. And so uh, <laughs> my favorite movie of 2001. Uh, and and even if I even if the if I hadn't written the book, that would that would still be my answer. Because as yeah. much as I really loved a lot of the movies that we talked about, like Josie stuck with me for a long time, uh, you know, and it's it's so it's one of those movies. And, and obviously uh, I've talked about this a little bit on other podcasts, but like we did our first episode of this show and it was mostly like I want to talk about Josie and the Pussycats because I hadn't thought about it in a while. And when I thought about it again, I was like, damn, that movie was good. And so. Like I started up a podcast basically so I could do one specific episode <laughs> and then it just became like that became a joke that ran through the first 50 episodes of this is like yeah. the fact that I was 40, 40 years old and male and I was the Josie and the Pussycats guy. <laughs> and now uh, I think because of this book professionally and forever, I'm going to be the Josie and the Pussycats guy. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you've got, uh, I, I, God, I'm still trying to remember whether I saw, did you see, did you, I, I forget, like, it's weird, like, did you see this in theaters? Yeah, yeah, I saw it in theaters. I must have probably, I don't know that. I don't know, that was when you were at Purchase, and I was. When did Josie come out again? April 2001. Oh, yeah, I would have been at, I would have been at SUNY Purchase, and yeah. I probably went to see it either at the Oswego Theater, in which case I could have seen it alone or on a date, or at uh, or with Tim Kilpatrick, who was a friend of mine in college that I used to constantly go to the movies with. Yeah. Movie. But uh, I, I don't remember the circumstances of me watching it. I'm pretty yeah. sure I didn't see it on a date or anything. I think I just saw it because I liked Rachel Lee Cook so much after She's All That. Yeah. Um, but Yeah, because uh, I'm trying to remember like when the first time is I saw it, because like I... I remember when you first, however many years ago, like yeah. started talking about it again or whatever and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I like that. And I didn't remember necessarily the like the fact that um, the not the twist, but like the honest yeah, version the of the film. I just remember vaguely liking it and yeah. not knowing like necessarily that it wasn't, you know, as, uh, you know, everyone's favorite film critic, Roger Ebert, said, uh, you yeah. know, Spice Girls, um, because you have to anyway um <laughs> although i brought this almost every single time i talk about your book i bring up like this that the bullshit from roger ebert his like the worst review of many bad reviews he's ever written but um i mean he's written tens of thousands so you know credit um but uh like the like complete and utter like i don't know how he didn't understand it's not yeah. it's not like a it's not like fight club where you're like oh i can see how you could really genuinely dislike this film when it came out i yeah. could understand it but and and but even like janet maslin who like you know didn't like the film but respected you know like wrote a like it's a technically made well film everyone's acting yeah. well the script is fine i just didn't you know um but but yeah no it's just fine <laughs> but but yeah no um i haven't i have uh uh grown to enjoy it a hell of a lot more though because i mean like i mean i feel like I feel like a lot of films, like if you get to find out about like the backstory and kind of like, obviously as you get to, you know, know 
even obviously I, like I don't know the directors you know you know that like but like get to know like I mean, how much honestly, they even I don't I, I always have that weird thing where it's like I got along really well with them when I talked to them I, I I feel free to email them when I have a like a random question uh but I wouldn't necessarily say I know them that well either like it's I always uh especially with Deb Kaplan who I like think is absolutely hilarious like she's really funny and really beautiful and like just such a wonderful person but like she's way less like outgoing friendly like hey let's have a drink sometime than harry is and so i always feel like you you run that risk of like being like i don't want to get into some parasocial relationship where they're like the dude who wrote this book is kind of (laughs) weird but it's but it's 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 interesting because it's like it's it's one thing that one of the reasons why I like originally like when I was in film school like the idea of like you had two different tracks you had you want to do like production or you can do film theory and kind of criticism and like I I had a hard time because most of the film reviews that I had written at that point um, were film reviews from films that had been released early at um, at SUNY Purchase because we had this weird film program so like Stanley Tucci came out with um, it's the secret of J gold. I'm trying to remember yeah. what, the, what the actual it was gold. I know it has gold G O U L D. Um, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic film. I got to meet, uh, Tucci, which was brilliant and awesome. Shake his hand and tell him literally that I'm like, I'm going to write a great review, <laughs> which he was like, Hey, <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, I get a great review in the independent newspaper at SUNY purchase, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, but it, it was always, it's always hard to kind of like, I try and stop to think, I mean, like, how hard did people work on this and how like some of the, especially with like the indie films that we, we, you know, so often over the last like, you know, two years or so like watch, you're like, Oh, this just, (laughs) like there has been films like several of them that both of us have watched. And we're like, I don't have a good thing to say about it. And we've just decided both go, let's just let it go. Um, and then there's like the, Oh my God, what was the one in the cabin, uh, where we both, like I feel bad doing this, but it has like whoever yeah. all the people involved in this film deserve to be told <laughs> how how just monstrously bad this film is. And like it felt like no one was like no one caught themselves and said, What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like there's That's like dozens of people. I can't remember the name in the movie you're talking about, but I also think that you that file is, about it, right? like, I don't know that cat- we ever actually published that podcast. I think the the audio went missing. Oh no! <laughs> now I feel like because I'm like, ah. Uh, but that was only one of the only ones of like the kind of like weird. I don't even know what to qualify D level like yeah. horror action whatever films that we that we watch. Um, like the Jurassic series and stuff like that. Um, even though none of them are actually really connected, but like, I feel like there's been like two Jurassic films that we have to catch up on though, Russ, uh, that have come out in the last, uh, six months or so. Um, so we have to continue on with our, yeah. Well, I've been watching the Josie and the Pussycats and Jurassic titled films. Yeah. <laughs> but when, while I've been working on the book, I've been so fixated on like, trying to get that done that it's been hard to keep abreast of the like dozens and dozens of indie titles that come out every week um, yeah, yeah the orchard street and or whatever they're called but but yeah no um no um i i don't anyone who's listening to this podcast i can't imagine hasn't seen josie and the pussycats but it's um 
because <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know how you would continue on listening and not have watched the film at this point. And be like, no, I'm going to keep ignoring that film. Both of them recommend, like, yeah. once an episode. <laughs> but um, it seems like it'd be like kind of self-loathing. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I've, I've grown to um, love them. We, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do um, Get Carter at some point. Yeah. Um, because I, I just realized that Rachel A. Cook is in it, um, which we should like match it with Get Carter and um, oh my god the payback because yeah, they're I, essentially <laughs> the same movie. they're the same film with a vaguely different plot but like it's just like oh just switch up the reason why he's doing this and it's the same film yeah. and they came out roughly around the same couple years or whatever yeah. um, and they were both like. Oh, this is a weird career twist in this era of the, the anyway. But yeah, um, and also, holy shit, Owen Cumming is also in that. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> totally forgot. This this uh, by the way, this podcast just to give you a heads up is slowly going to become a podcast that is just like the like six degrees of Josie and the Pussycats, um, yeah. and which I don't necessarily have a wrong or bad thing because then we get to watch a lot of Alan Cummings and a lot of uh, Rachel Lee Cook films. Um, and Rosie Rosario Dawson, who I'm always perfectly fine with watching any film she's in. Um, so, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, do you want to go through like the, like very like quick shot of like the other films that came out that year that obviously yeah. didn't make the 10 or top five, but uh, that, right. Because yeah, I've done five. Yeah. 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 I, I think. Yeah. Because you started because I was going to do Josie last, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Why don't I go down my little list here and then you can kind of uh, tag on to anything. And this is not a list of necessarily my runners up, but I'll, I'll talk about like whatever. Uh, like and these are basically like movies I feel like should be mentioned. <laughs> uh, Mulholland Drive, which uh, I did really like Mulholland Drive uh, as somebody who really likes David Finch. Or David Lynch. Um, I, I got in the Fight Club uh, thing and was. Uh, <laughs> I want to see a Mahal and Drive do, done by Fincher, but yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the trivia behind that movie that it was originally going to be a Twin Peaks movie uh, where she was going to be playing Audrey Horn. Yeah. Uh, and then it just for whatever reason didn't happen and they changed it. Um, but uh, it's it's a movie it's it's a movie that feels like homework. Like I love it. It's brilliant but it's not something like it very much like i said you have to pay attention to amelie yeah. but at least with amelie it's because it's in a foreign language and it's visually like everything is about the visuals yeah. and so you can't just be playing on your phone with mulholland drive it's like you got to pay attention because if you look away for five minutes you'll forget like the mechanics of who all these people are and why they all want to hate each other yeah. Yeah. um uh Donnie Darko uh, is a movie that exists. Um, it's not one of my favorites, honestly. Uh, I, I I do. I'm super interested in Richard Kelly in the same way that I'm interested in the guy who made uh, Primer, whose name escapes me at the moment. Yeah. Where it's just like there are some people where it's just like, yeah, you 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 rode that indie wave of the late '90s and early 2000s, and you made some wild, daring, crazy shit. Yeah. And the market did not always reward you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most certainly. 
and uh and, but donnie darko was obviously one where the market did reward him i do think everybody in it's terrific i think jillian hall's great i think um that's Jen, jenna maloney plays his little sister right uh but um maggie gellenthal rose darko is Ma- mary mcdonald Oh yeah, Jenna Malone. No, no. Um, Jenna Malone plays um, Raw, uh, like the I don't want to say love interest, but the girl. Yeah, yeah, the girl. Um, um, but she's I, I think she's one of those people who I think is just absolutely terrific. Like uh, you know, you watch Saved and get a sense for like how good she can be when she's got good material. Yeah. Uh, she was the one and only salvageable thing in that movie, Life as a House. Um, which, considering that I like Kevin Klein, like... Yeah, but Mannequin Skywalker just slaughtered that film. And that's like, I that's love that film. Good. It made, especially the time period, like, as a person with uh, father issues. Yeah. Um, that film, and who's father issues, who also is a uh, contractor. Um, and, like, so, like, that film came out. And I, Kevin Klein is, like, also vaguely looks like my father. Like, in the, like, mind's eye of my version. Not at all. But, like... Um, but like in my head, like, um, a Kevin, Co- Kevin Klein, Kevin Costner version of my dad is that's what I try to remember. Um, but, uh, that, that film, yeah, that film used to be the film when it came out on DVD, it was like the film, like, I need a good cry. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'm just going to strive through, um, his not good acting yeah there was a lot of movies like that that were like we're gonna pull at your heartstrings but we're not gonna be especially good at it around this time uh k-pax which came out in 2001 is on that list of like oh we just really want to be starman but we we're not john carpenter (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i mean that one though like everything else about that film is fucking fantastic um not k-pax um but um about life life as a house and it just kills me because he's playing the worst like tropey version of the the eyeliner the like oh i'm you know angry at everything in the world and i'm just gonna stare off and and like uh, but somehow the film still like for me at least again like i i accept that no one likes that film um but um but it is also a thing where it's just like oh lord yeah anyway Jenna Malone is great. (laughs) Also on my list, Along Came a Spider, which was, uh, I I really, I I really dug that one. And then what was the one that uh, they did with Sam Jackson and uh, Gina Davis that was in that same series? Um, I know the film you're talking about, but I can. um, Kiss the Girls. Yes. Uh, They're, they're also both better, better films than they deserve to be. Yeah. Um, And like, I, cause like my, my, my aunt was watching one of them recently. Um, and, uh, like, uh, I was like, Oh, it's this thing. And I'm like, Oh shit, this is actually good. Um, Oh, there's another, there's another one. And I don't know if it's, is it by the same, based on the same writer, um, double jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, know if that's I don't, same film, or like, not. I don't know if those three films actually are done by the same people, but like, do they have the same vibe? <laughs> I don't think any of the same people worked on Kiss the Girls and Along Came a Spider, but somebody told me a long time ago, and I believed them, that they are based on the same book series. Those two are. I'm not sure if Double Jeopardy is or not, though. But uh, 
I feel like no, just because like it it can't be the same like protagonist because like she double jeopardy is kind of such a closed ended. Um, oh no, no, but I think it's I think I I think those two are about the author. I by it's by at least by the same author, and that's could be completely wrong here probably am but anyway we should just continue on because uh, <laughs> i already mentioned memento memento remains uh maybe my favorite chris nolan movie uh it was back when i still found his pretentious experimentations charming yeah. uh, I, I right around the time of uh, uh god the uh, inception i kind of stopped finding them charming and was kind of like, okay, this is really self-indulgent. And that's ridiculous coming from somebody who uh, gives an awful lot of leeway to people like Kevin Smith to just be as self-indulgent as they want. But like, it's just, first of all, it's just my opinion. I can do that. But secondly, (laughs) like I find Kevin to be really entertaining. And so even if he's self-indulgent and not inherently doing great film, uh, it works in a way that most of the later Nolan stuff doesn't, but I, I, I certainly this, you know, there was a stretch of time where I really liked his stuff. And I think Memento started that and then uh, remains my favorite of them. Yeah. Uh, I it's, cross anyway. It's, yeah. Sorry. Continue. Uh, no worries. Uh, it's worth mentioning that Shrek came out this year, the first one and <laughs> one animated feature, uh, with no competition, like yeah. no no other movie was nominated. Uh, I believe this was the first year that you had the animated feature uh, category, and so maybe you had a bunch of pretentious people who didn't want to nominate an animated movie and were just like, well, we'll, we'll there's one. Yeah. But it was also the same year that you got Waking Life from Richard Linkletter and Monsters, Inc. Yeah. And like whatever you want to think about those movies, neither of them is perfect. But, like, certainly I think they could have been nominated. <laughs> um, uh, Waking Life is is wildly creative. And, again, like, I, I like big swings, even if they don't quite work. Yeah. Um, and Monsters, Inc. is, I think, one of the only Pixar movies ever to not get nominated for Best Animated Feature. Yeah. Um, Great film, though. I've had, yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, Carrie's uh, kids' like favorite film right now despite me trying to push Lilo and Stitch on on the child like nobody's business but um (laughs) but it is uh um uh I having rewatched it several times now and I'm like oh it's actually I mean you can't argue with John Goodman um and uh so yeah (laughs) I will say so uh four movies that I'm just gonna gloss over pretty quickly because these are things that if you talked to me back in 2001, I would have told you they were absolutely wonderful. And now yeah. it's been a really long time since I watched any of them, and I <laughs> do not think they would hold up. Uh, Serendipity. Yeah. John Cusack, Kate Beckinsale thing where, like, they meet for two seconds and then ruin their relationships over it. Yeah. Um, the film of my, uh, my breakup year. Like, that was yeah. the romantic film of... Like the year that uh, um, uh, I ended up having a uh, breakup with my fiance, yes, and, and so like it was like that film is... with their fiance, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Vanilla Sky, which uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it got a lot of benefit of the doubt for me because it was coming off the high of. But that did get terrible reviews. It did, but to, I'm I'm talking about me, like things. Oh that no, no, I... we both loved it. Like, 
yeah, I loved it too. And I was like, oh my God, it's brilliant. And like, everyone doesn't get it. And I think part of it was that it got terrible reviews and it was like me going, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, Rockstar. I remember really enjoying the Marky Mark movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can remember almost nothing about that movie except that uh, over the closing credits when you were doing the bloopers, like, so when they were doing the concert scenes, they would blast the actual song so that he would have an easier time lip syncing. Yeah. And there was a there was a blooper where instead of blasting the heavy metal song he was supposed to be lip syncing to, they played a Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch song. <laughs> and I just remember like he did that that thing that you see like heavy metal singers do where he like pumped his fist and dove forward to like yell into the mic. And then, like, when the song came on, he just, like, froze and, like, turned around and started laughing at the thing. And yeah. I'm just like, that is the most legitimately charming I've ever seen Mark Wahlberg ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's he's uh, a guy who I, I love a lot of his film. I, I don't know. I like a lot of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, Four like, Brothers was great. What's that? Four Brothers was great. Yeah. Sniper. Like, he has that, like, he's... To some extent, I don't know if I want to say he's the new, he's kind of like an era's Bruce Willis, but I don't think that's right. I think he got sandwiched between Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck and never quite came out of either of them. Uh, yeah, but he, he is um, um, a horrible fucking human being yeah. uh, and um, has never really redeemed himself from being his younger years. And whether or not he's still a racist dirtbag like he was in his younger years that he is now, but like, it's, I don't know, but he's never redeemed himself and he keeps doing films that are like rah, rah Patriot shit. So it's like really hard to, yeah. Know. So, so it's like one of those, like, like yeah. but cause there's, I mean, um, oh my God, not Jeffrey rush. Fucking hell. Why can I never Jeffrey, um, Geostorm. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I can never remember his name. Ger- Gerard Butler. It's not oh. even Gerard. Gerard Butler is like my like go-to action guy now. I fucking love Geostorm. I love all of his terrible action films so much. But anyway, that's that's a big sidetrack. Have you seen uh, Greenland yet? What's that? Have you seen Greenland yet? Of course. Um, I that was I think the first film that I paid like whatever the like amount was to the buy the film, film like preview yeah. box, and I'm like I'm ashamed of this. And I liked. Um, I talked to the director for that movie for work. It was. It it's was, it's actually like. It's one of the closer films that comes to the like level of like Independence Day. This yeah. is actually a good film. Like Independence Day is actually a good film. Yeah. Everyone's acting well in it. The script is acceptable. Yeah. Um, and like I would say that Greenland, like in nineteen, if obviously. I'm trying to think of whether really it had that much CG shit or whatever, but like if it was released in the late nineties, probably would have been a $500 million film. Um, and it's wild to think about the fact that it just like dropped. <laughs> like, I mean, it did nothing. Like I'm sure it made, I'm sure it made some decent money, uh, but like nowhere near what it would have made if it was almost the exact same film, because I mean, there's, there's some CG in it, but nothing that like, again, Independence Day didn't have. Um, 
And uh, and it's wild to think that like a lot of those films where it's just like, you know, I mean, like we've had this discussion with like Rampage and and some of the and uh, what's um, Skyscraper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, where it's just like these are films that would have done two hundred fifty million dollars. Like uh, just no, I know it's going to make that much money. <laughs> like, I don't have to think about the fact I don't even have to worry about it. It's just going to do that. Even it may never do any more money than that. And it may disappear from our entire brain space yeah. that ever existed, but it will do a quarter of a billion dollars. But like now you're like, I don't know. It's going to crack 200, I hope. Yeah. Um, and it's so weird to think that like people still exist that were alive in the 90s. But like <laughs> for some reason over the last 20 years, you produce the same film, obviously a lot better with CG and action. Right. The action level is so much higher, especially with like yeah. the rock films, like then, cause I mean, also just, I can believe that the rock can do things that Bruce Willis can't. <laughs> like I can at least separate my brain and go, yes, I do believe that he can jump from one skyscraper essentially to another, <laughs> like, you know, um, without even the suspension of disbelief that you have to have in like the fast and furious series where you're like, they would all be dead. <laughs> like, and also the airbags would have at least gone off in the car. Um, but, but anyway, um, yeah. Um, my, my, do you have any other ones? Uh, no. Uh, I, the only other note that I had was, uh, I recently got into a conversation. I can't remember what the movie was, but somebody confused some like teen sex comedy with the movie whatever it takes <laughs> and then they were like oh i always make that mistake and I, I all i can remember is oh yeah i always make that mistake not with the same movie but i always i can never remember which one is whatever it takes and which one is saving silverman yeah, yeah. and I, at one point i just remember saying like oh yeah that movie was pretty much trash but amanda pete was really funny in it and uh i, I you know her her back and forth with steve zahn was really funny and they were just like, neither of those people are in whatever it takes. <laughs> and I was like, ah. But Saving Silverman came out this year, so that made me think of that. Uh, and then my other note was, uh, I, I completely forgot to do this. My, I was going to make my very first choice, Monkey Bone. Just oh, God. Oh. to be completely indefensible. <laughs> At least somebody else said the word monkey. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I do say, like, um, I think we should take a moment and just, like, sit and say, just how great is Amanda Pete? Like, oh, why is she, like, the best thing in everything that she's ever done? Yeah. <laughs> like, the whole nine yards? Um, I know that that came out in 2000. But, um, like, yeah. she is genuinely, like, I'm looking over her career, and you're like, she is, she was the best thing in Studio 60 and Sunnet Strip, and both of us love that show. Um, like, Best thing in it give um um but where's uh she was absolutely the best thing in um the film you were just talking about who's on, my, yeah she's the best thing in Brockmire she's the best thing in like so many um I was gonna say Siriana but I'm like I, I'm trying to remember if I actually remember what she's in that but but yeah I I, I think that uh, she's an actress that does not get enough credit for being how awesome she is i mean yeah, i think she, i feel like she does in this podcast because i i'm 99 sure we've talked about her before we've had this um, exact same diatribe before yeah. yeah but i i think part of it with her and this is uh this ties a little bit into the whole like the josie of it all but i do feel like uh especially prior to about 2012 yeah. women whose first couple of roles are just like i'm extremely beautiful and you're like therefore there's comedy there 
have a really hard time getting taken seriously when they do other things. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think that's always like, I, I feel like the first couple times I saw Amanda Pete, like her entire characterization was like, she walks into a room and everybody stops dead because she's so hot. Yeah. And then when she actually started to like act, I think that there's a healthy chunk of people who are just like, no, thank you. I don't want that because she's a dumb hot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even though she, I mean, one of her, she's, I, I just wish she would get like a mammoth, like mammoth would write a script for her or something like somebody, because her, her dialogue delivery is, was always so fucking fantastic. Yeah. Which like, again, speaking to the studio 60 of it all. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just even think, I mean like her, I, I would assume everyone would consider it her breakout role, um, a whole nine yards. Um, um, but like, <clears throat> the idea, like her against two, one of the biggest TV stars yeah. in America at the moment. Yeah. And then one of the biggest like action stars of, of American history. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, no, she just, she, and then even the thing. other people, like even the rest of the cast in that movie, cause you yeah. figure like, it wasn't just Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry. It was also like, you had Rosanna Arquette and Kevin Pollack and Natasha Henstridge and, um, yeah, right. Michael Clark Duncan. Like, uh, the fact that I can pull those up tells me I've seen that movie way too many times. But the point being, uh, Amanda Pete at, you know, 22 or whatever she was, there's no reason she should have been punching her weight with these people. But outside of like maybe Michael Clark Duncan, because he was just so hilarious in that movie. Uh, it was like, you, you would rather see her on screen than almost anybody else at any given time. So what we need is a, like a buddy comedy with Jenna Malone, um, and Amanda Pete. And I'm sure there's other people we can throw in there, but like immediately just within this year, I'm like, I, I suddenly want to sit down and spend the next couple months writing that script just so I can yeah. have something. And by the way, um, before I before I very quickly go through mine, uh, because you hit a lot most of mine. Uh, but the hilarious thing is Kiss the Girls, Along Came the Spider and Double Jeopardy. You can actually buy on Amazon on a DVD on all three, but only Kiss the Girls and Along, Along Came the Spider are Alex Cross films which is a big okay. enormous book series yeah, yeah double yeah. jeopardy is just something else i don't know i'm like while i've been talking i haven't been able to figure out what that comes it's from franchise just- um yeah no <laughs> it's just so funny because it's like like oh no those three films obviously go to go together because you have a male lead um like not that not that tommy lee jones and morgan freeman are interchangeable but they're kind of interchangeable yeah <laughs> like I mean, they are not in like a lot of things, but like I could see any almost most of the roles. It's a guy with a great voice who, you know, anyway, anyway. Um, but um, I feel like there's one other thing, but um, the Majestic, um, which I haven't seen in years um, and I'd be very interested. But Jim Carrey doing one of his like actually acting roles and a weirdly great film. I don't know if I'd say. Like obviously it didn't make my top five. I don't know if it would make a top ten of even the year. That was on my list of things that I wanted to mention, and then I just forgot it because we got so absorbed in some other conversation. And it's one of those still where I'm like, I need to rewatch it because I'm not quite sure whether it stands up. Um, yeah. But uh, Novocaine, um, which is genuinely, I remember like being like, what the fuck is this film? Yeah, Steve yeah. Martin. Uh, one of his serious role, serious-ish roles, um, yeah. 
not quite as is like completely serious roles where he has like which I actually like I've actually like because there's the the Hulu series um, only murders oh, in my building or something yeah yeah uh, which I've been watching some of and I'm like it is fine I'm happy to if I can sit down and watch um, Steve Martin Martin Short short do yeah. almost anything i'm pretty fine with it <laughs> like um that's fine um but uh you know one of his more serious roles because the only other one i was mainly thinking about was the spanish prisoner which i have to rewatch oh, yeah. now because i i just saw his thing which i was like what the fuck i completely forgot about that film um yeah. and it was like my favorite film david mamet um of that year because it's such a wild fucking yeah like, I remember suddenly steve martin was and, and i remember was, owning it on vhs <laughs> Wasn't he? Uh, I'm pretty sure he was like not advertised in it. I feel like it was like a surprise. I don't. I, I don't know because I don't remember the movie in theaters. I just remember the VHS case, and he was on the front of that. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the the maybe he was actually because he's on the poster, but um, but anyway, but that that um, Novocaine was great. He plays a dentist who. I don't remember. I think was selling Novocaine, no, selling like drugs or something. I, I actually don't remember any, much much about it, uh, yeah. but I remember it being like kind of a really great like kind of crossover of him playing his like a frantic comedy and more serious because like we we're talking about a murder and everything like that. Interesting weird thing is it's the only thing, only feature film that. Um, he has ever actually made. Uh, um, uh, David Atkins. Oh, okay. Other than the weird, sorry, I was just looking at his IMDb to see what else he done, and he did a uh, a TV series called The Horrible, Terrible Mis- Misadventures of David Atkins, hmm. um, which I'm really fascinated about seeing now. Yeah, uh, right. Because I'm like, it's not often that you did that sort of thing. Uh, especially considering I don't know who he is necessarily. Yeah. Oh, he was a writer. On- <laughs> He was the writer of uh, um, Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, nice. Weird. But anyway, um, what Hot American Summer? I yeah. like it. Kind of speaks for itself. I feel like we've talked about it many times. Yeah, we talked. Well, we also we talked about it off mic, and one of the reasons I didn't bring it up in my list is because I thought you were going to. Um, I do. I love it. It's one of my favorite dumb comedies. Uh, I mean, gun in my head. On any given day, that one and, and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back would swap places in terms of being like the the dumb comedy I'm gonna sit down and watch again from this year. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's I mean the cast is it if if you could come out with like if you could invest money on a cast, if there's a yeah. way like remember was that was the Hollywood Stock Exchange? Um uh, yeah. if I put money, uh, like all my money on the cast of this film, if you could do that sort of thing, um, I'd be a fucking billionaire. Because, <laughs> like, holy fucking shit, everyone, everyone from this film, Bradley fucking Cooper's in it. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, in 2001, and he's doing comedy. Um, and, uh, um, but yeah, and then, sadly, the TV show is not great. Um, but, or at least I didn't like it. Um, but yeah, um, we talked about Lord of the Rings, I think, other than just, I mean, it's Lord of the Rings. It's the entire the, the trilogy is some of the best three film best certainly the, one of the best trilogies ever made but also it's one of the, they're all individually one of the best films 
every single ever fucking made because it of its epicness and everything like that. Whether or not you like them or not, I think to not give it credit that it's ridiculous that it didn't win an Oscar and fucking Ron Howard run an Oscar this year from it. Um, uh, Pootie Tang, <laughs> which um, unfortunately one of the all-time great titles. I think we have to acknowledge. Yes, yes, obviously one of the great all-times. The one of the weirdest fucking films I would uh, among ever made. I always thought it was a black exploitation, like kind of like world film, and then I found out that fucking Louis C.K. wrote it and directed it, which yeah. broke my fucking mind. Which both gives me more credit, gives me like holy shit. I hate to. I always hate to admit when terrible people are actually good at yeah. things, but Louis C.K. is a very good writer <laughs> because this is brilliant and unbelievably fucking weird and like walks that weird line of like i feel like this is almost racist um (laughs) but somehow at least in my remembrance of it um because i haven't watched it like two years three years um isn't (laughs) i feel like it isn't maybe people tell me i'm wrong um but yeah that's uh i think that's it um there's a bunch of other films this is a uh weirdly there's like not any it's weird to think that like even like looking at the Oscars from this year, the films aren't great. Like, um and it's surprising because it's like There's a lot of really good stuff that came out this year and then lost in like, the Oscars too. Like on the other hand, is there a film other than Memento yeah. and Lord of the Rings that I would go any of these no, none of these are Oscar films. I mean, I would think I think Tenenbaums is that kind of world. Um, yeah, uh, I, I feel like it's the best picture. I don't know if anyone a because like there's no there's no breakout star of it. There's not, well, not not only that, but um, there's also no best individual. I don't know who is the actor. Well, Who's that's it? that's what I really meant. Not breakout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, also, character, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I guess Royal technically, but he's such an irredeemable bastard that it makes it hard. Even though Gene Hackman's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it is a weird. It's such a weird year with so many. It's it's like I, I guess I would say there's so many very very good films, yeah. but not a lot of great films. Like again, I think that like the fact that we talked about 2001, uh, or I you know just because of it. A, gave us some opportunity to um, talk about a certain film that uh, came out the year that somebody had written a book about. Um, and um, and also um, was the 20, you know, it's 20 years on. And, uh, but it's surprising to think, especially like, two, you know, 99, 2000 were these two years. And I feel like 2000 is almost just like leftover, <laughs> like films that like should have came out in 99, but people were probably like, I want to win an award. Yeah, yeah. Push it off. Um, and then, and then, just, I mean, like, I mean, like, because I mean, like, we could even talk about, like, um, obviously, again, not a great, not like a, any film that's ever going to win an award. But Big Trouble was supposed to come out this year. Oh yeah. Um, in the nine eleven kind of tragedies of of Hollywood. Um, <laughs> that's heartless. Um, and uh, but like that, that is probably if that film had actually come out, which. Was it even released, or was it just completely knocked off? It I'm did sorry. get a release of some kind, because I remember seeing it in theaters. Yeah. Um, because I was a huge Dave Barry fan at that moment. Yeah, yeah. 
but it it did not stay in theaters very long. I think it made like a third of its budget back. Yeah, that is such a great film. Um, and if you haven't seen that, um, for God's sakes, I feel like we've almost certainly talked about it before. I can't imagine if we didn't. But um, next year we'll do this type of thing uh, with you know talk about all the best films of that and. I, I don't know. Maybe it'll count. Maybe I don't know when everyone decides that Big Trouble came out. But uh, I do feel, though, actually, like we're doing this very wrong and we should actually be talking about when everything was released on video. Um, That's right. <laughs> we are that bad. I mean, I know Josie came out on in August uh, because that I, I actually lined up the release of my book with the 20th anniversary of when it hit yeah. home video. Yeah. Um, April 5th, 2002 for Big Trouble, which is almost exactly a year after the release of Josie and the Pussycats and leads me to believe they were dumping the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird because that, that's so sad because that's such a yeah. good film. It was such a fun movie. Yeah. Even with Tim Allen in it, like, yeah, the, I, I will say dude can pick a script like, uh, yeah. regardless of everything that I have against him politically and the fact that I don't find him especially funny. Uh, he's able to excel sometimes just by virtue of like, he absolutely knows how to pick a script. Yeah. And then he like, got connected you and don't then he... backwards into doing toy story and galaxy quest and big trouble. And you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the last couple of years he got mixed in with Adam Sandler and then everything. Went, but yeah. yeah. I will say in 2001, he had Joe somebody, um, which was yeah. not a movie that anybody enjoyed. I remember putting it on in the in the video store a bunch because it was rated PG. Yeah. And so like you could you could get away with like having it on, and also it was a new release, and also nobody was ever renting it all out, so you kind of you know. (laughs) It didn't have to switch out the video or anything. Yeah, you didn't have to like. It was always an awkward thing when it's like, well, we have to have a PG rated new release in at all times, but also. those are the movies that everybody's coming for. And so there's a 50, 50 chance that you're going to have it stolen away from you halfway yeah, through. Yeah. Um, well, let's take one moment with big trouble. Anyone who hasn't, I, I believe we've talked about this film before in the podcast, but big trouble, Tim Allen, Rene Russo, Stanley Tucci, uh, Tucci, uh, Tom Sizemore, Johnny Knoxville, Dennis Farina, uh, Janine Garofalo, Ben Foster, uh, Zoe Deschanel, um, Omar Epps, Jason Lee, Sophia uh, Vergara, um, Andy Richter, um, let's see who else, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, weirdly, um, directed it, but also yeah. is in it, um, but it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and uh, I would say that Martha Stewart has the best, hands down, best role in the entire film, um, and... Uh, Great but, use of your shitty celebrity cameo, absolutely. Um, yeah, hands down, um and uh is a <laughs> what does she say i'm trying to remember what does she say i can't even remember i just remember like that i i actively disliked her for years and i watched this movie and was like okay you get that one <laughs> uh anyway anyway that's that's all i got so, yeah and, and it's been like two hours so we should probably it is a two hour and ten minute podcast yes up. Uh, Although but, I miss those days, uh, we used to, you know, so it's, uh, it's usually uh, the three-hour long podcast talking yeah, about the movie. Yeah. At least this one we're talking about twelve films. Exactly, whatever. exactly. Uh, so thanks everybody for listening to us rant about twenty-year-old movies, and uh, uh, 
Always uh, be back here by noon on the fifth day for more from Emerald City Video. Always remember to rewind your cassettes and go buy my book, Best Movie Ever, at JosieBook.com. Arugula! That was the word. Anyway. A-C-E-N.